turn it on before I walk up here, the, the speaker boom, so I was trying to be smart, and then I forgot. Um, so we had the privilege this last week of meeting Mike, and he's a wonderful man, and his family, they're just a joy to be around. Um, I, I hate to tell you this, but there's a potential that there's going to be two Julies 
Um, you've never had to share that or you've never had to do that before, but it, it can't be anything but a blessing because from what I have met from her, she is just like me. So congratulations. You guys are going to have a great, great, great year, okay? Um, I did have a conversation with Gracie, and she didn't talk much on there, but she and I were talking about airplanes and crickets, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you had to be there. Um, and she probably, if you're watching Gracie, I'm really sorry. I think I may have creeped her out just a little bit because she was talking to me, and I just stopped, and I was just looking at her, and I said, golly, you are so pretty. And she probably was like, that's strange. I don't even know you. But she is. She's gorgeous. Their whole family is just wonderful, and we're so excited. They are big, big people. We're very, very excited about you guys getting to meet them and have some time to just be with them. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit of stories about some things that happened to me when I was a little child, and I'm pretty sure you guys have experienced some of these things as well. When, you, when I was little, my family members used to tell me things that I believed with my whole heart, things like, if you keep making that face, it's going to stick like that. Anybody's parents tell you that? Okay, any of you parents tell your kids that? Yes. If you eat watermelon seeds, you're going to grow a watermelon tree in your stomach. Watermelons don't even grow on trees. I didn't know that. I believed them. If you swallow that gum, it's going to stay in there for seven years. And my mom would go even a little deeper. It's going to stay in there for seven years, and it's going to plump up, plump up, and they're probably going to have to have surgery to remove it. So stop swallowing that gum. My son Jensen swallows his gum every single time he eats it. So we'll see. That works. If you drink coffee, you're going to stop growing. Or my mom used to say it'll stunt your growth. That one might be true, though, because I don't drink coffee, and I just keep growing. I'm just not growing taller. If you eat carrots, your vision will get better. That's not true. You might turn bright orange, though, if you eat too many of them. If you sit that close to the TV, you won't be able to see anymore. The funniest thing about this is there was this man on this video this weekend, talk, weekend talking about this, and he was saying, it's not true. My mom always used to tell me that, that I couldn't sit too close to the TV. Meanwhile, he has the thickest glasses that you would ever see while he is giving this video. So I'm not super sure if that was true or not, but from what I gather, it's not. And lastly, if you keep crossing your eyes, you're going to be cross-eyed for life. Now, we know that these are false. As a child, I truly believed that they were true. Cause and effect. They're just simply untrue cause and effect statements. Cause and effect is a relationship between two things where one thing makes something else happen. For example, if we eat too much food and we do not exercise, we gain weight. Eating food without exercising is the cause. Weight gain is the effect. Or another example. If you pray to God to send the right man to run this church, he might pick him. But guess what? He won't let the wrong man in. Or one more. If you jump on a trampoline and you're over a certain age, you get the picture. Listen, I am just speaking facts. Life is full of cause and effect situations every single day we experience it. So today... I have a few family um, encouragements or cause and effect statements that are practical and biblical for you and your entire family. First, in your marriage, 
submit to one another. The verse that everyone loves in Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 32, it said there's a passage that people use inappropriately all the time. And today I want to read it from the message because it words it beautifully in a way that I think we can all understand. In verse 21, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, As he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His word evokes her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. And they're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No one, no, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us. As the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest, clearest, clearest to me is the way that Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. You see, it's not something scary. It's a beautiful picture of what marriage should be. So how do we live this out? First, you ever heard the saying, pray together, stay together? Pray with your spouse every day. Ask God to bless your marriage, your family, and your life together. Praying together is a deeply intimate and vulnerable thing to do. And what better person to be vulnerable with than your own spouse? So make prayer a priority for your marriage. Second, love one another. Not when they, not just when they do the things that you want them to. Not just when you aren't mad at them. And not just on social media or in public. If you tell everyone how wonderful your spouse is, you should be telling them and showing them every single day even more often. Otherwise, it's just a show. Love them as you love yourself. Love them as Christ loved the church. Third, worship together. Worship at home, not just on Sunday mornings. Once a week worship won't cut it. Do it often. Worship is one of the most intimate things that a person can do. 
And if you aren't sharing in that intimate beauty with your spouse, you're missing out on one of the most beautiful forms of intimacy. Help each other. Remember a few years back when we heard a sermon about how the greatest thing a man can do to attract his wife is to be sure to invest in her. That sermon was the Sunday before our staff left for a conference on Monday morning, and I'll never forget this, and I will probably get in trouble because just like most pastors do, I did not ask permission to share this story. So we were riding as a group of staff to the conference in Dallas, and April over here gets a text. And she starts giggling, and we're asking her what it is, and she doesn't want to tell me what it hurts, and so she finally gives in, and she shows us, and it's a video. I kid you not. Jack set up the phone on the mantle and recorded himself like this. <laughs> Vacuuming. I believe he did it again with the lawnmower, too. So he, he was trying. He was doing what he was told to do. I will never forget that story, but it is so true. You share the load. You care about each other. Knowing that your spouse cares about and appreciates all that you do creates intimacy. In my years as a pastor and just simply in life, life, I have never one time seen a marriage fall apart when they were doing that. Because pouring into your marriage, the effect of a lasting marriage is about to hear a bless by God. Where divorce is not only not an option, not even a desire. Simply put, if you submit to one another, God will bless it. Second, give sacrificially. 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6. Yes, I know you just heard a, series, a sermon series on tithing, and here I am mentioning it, mentioning it again. But I don't just mean give as you spend money. I mean give when it hurts to give. When you have to give up something that you might really, really want, like a coffee or a new purse or a dinner with your friends or a football game, giving sacrificially means that you make God a priority over everything else, even when it's difficult. You might need to give money or time serving or being a listening ear to someone or simply just using the talents God has given you to bless others and to help. Let's look at a woman in the Bible who did this. It's in 1 Kings 17, 1 through 16. I'm going to give you a little prehistory. I'm going to read a little bit more than I probably need to, but I want you to kind of see what's going on. This is um, part of the story with Elijah, and there's a famine in the land, and there's not much that people can get. And then this happens. Elijah, the Tishbite, from among the settlers of Gilead, fronted Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel, before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. God then told Elijah, get out of here and fast. Eat, head east and hide out at Cherith Ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. You can drink fresh water from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you. Elijah obeyed God's orders. He went and he camped out in the Kareth Canyon on the other side of the Jordan. And sure enough, ravens brought him his meals, both breakfast 
and supper, and he drank from the brook. But eventually, the brook dried out because of the rain. And then God spoke to him, get up and go to Zarephath in Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. So he got up and he went to Zarephath. And he came to the entrance of the village. He met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. He asked her, please, would you bring me a little jug or a little water in a jug? I need a drink. As she went to get it, he called out, and while you're at it, would you, be, would you bring me something to eat? I don't know why it doesn't say food there. But while you're at it, would you bring me something to eat? And she said, I swear as surely as your God lives, I don't have as much as a grain. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. And after we eat it, we will die. Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you said. But first, make a small biscuit for me and bring it back to me. Then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. This is the word of the Lord God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out, and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this pestilence. And she went right off and did it, just as Elijah asked. And it turned out just as he said. Daily food for her and her son. The jar of meal didn't run out, and the bottle of oil didn't become empty. God's promise delivered to the letter exactly as Elijah had declared. Just like this woman who gave her very last bit of food during a family, even to the point of knowing that her family wouldn't survive, God will bless you. We think this way. I can't give because I don't have. But truthfully, you don't have because you don't give. I don't know one person who faithfully gives their money, their time, their gifts, their talents, that has ever said he gave to God and he did not get back. Every single one of us seek the blessing from the Lord. The cause? The sacrificial giving. The effect? Proverbs 22:16. Start your children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. That's the NIV. Direct your children onto the path, to the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. The NLT. And my personal favorite, train up a child in the way he should go, and when they grow up, he will not depart from it. Genesis 30:2. Lead your children. Show them, don't tell them. This verse does not say, tell them what to do or do everything for them. It says, teach them. How do we do that? The same way that we submit to our spouse. We love them. We pray with them. We worship with them. We read scripture with them. And we live like Christ. And we allow them to see Christ in us Every single day. You know, many parents rely on the church to be their sole spiritual guide for their children. 
but the truth is that was never the intention. Look at it this way. I don't know if you've seen any of these before, but there are 24 hours in a day, okay? And there's 365 days in a year. That is 8,760 hours per year. But if we really look at it, most kids sleep about eight hours a night. So we can take that out. So we do eight hours. We take, we take out 2,920. You didn't know you had to do math today. So that leaves you with about 5,000, let's just say about 5,800 hours. This doesn't include any school time or going to spend time with our grandparents. So let's just kind of adjust it just a little bit. And let's just, ex- let's just say 3,000 hours. Parents have 3,000 hours a year with your kids. We as a church have 52 pastors a year if they are here every single Sunday. What that means is there's a reflection of the difference. If you can see the picture on the on one side is a giant tube filled with ping pong balls. There are 3,000 ping pong balls in here. And then the little bitty jar on the other side is the 52 ping pong balls that represent how much time the church has with each one of you. The picture reflects the difference. If you rely on us to teach them everything that they know about Jesus, then you're setting them up for failure. It doesn't say, it's not, that isn't to say that we're going to stop teaching them because we're not. It just means that the impact that you have on them is far greater than me or Kristen. So lead them. Live in a way that reflects Christ. And I promise you, they will not depart from you. Right now, our students are on fire. Shane and Lucy are doing everything they can to keep that fire alive and burning bright. But they need our help as a church, and they need your help as parents and grandparents to instill this need and this fire inside of them to spend some time with their Lord. Lead your kids toward Christ in everything you do, and expect Jesus. The effect, the cause is leading your children toward Christ in everything you do. The effect is they will have a lifelong faith that's stronger than any temptation that this world can throw at them. Lastly, listen to the Lord. I could go and I could read you the whole entire story of Jonah. We all know his story. Jonah was kind of a grumpy guy. Um, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against his wickedness, but he didn't want to do that, so he refused. And he boarded a ship to go to Tarshish. And then God sent a great storm that threatened the ship, and the sailors threw him overboard. And then he was swallowed by a great fish. Remember this story. The cause? Jonah disobeyed God. The effect? He was punished and ended up in the belly of a fish. The moral of that story is do what God tells you to do and save yourself some of those consequences. Now, we're not probably going to get thrown into the belly of a fish, but we we do have consequences for the things that we do. The problem in this life for us is that cause and effect are backwards. We seem to work so hard for the prize and do only what we think that we have to do to get what we want, what we want when in reality we aren't living for ourselves. When we are in this life, we are here to please the Lord and to lead others to him. 
That is our cost. We live in a world where people do whatever they want, whenever they want, and then they complain about everything. But we were put on this earth for our own specific cause and effect. Our cause is to live like Christ. And our effect will be other people's lives changed because they see Christ being magnified in their midst. But we have to live it properly. And we can't complain that things aren't going right when we are not living in a godly way. Now the good news is that there never comes a point when God cannot use. Look at marriages that have overcome the unthinkable. Or people who begin giving that have been abundantly blessed by the Lord. Or people in your life have, have had prodigal children who have returned to the Lord. And then we can look at Jonah. He paid the price for his disobedience. But then God forgave him and sent him to Nineveh where people's lives were spared and changed. And even after that he acted out in anger and God still patiently taught him a lesson. Thankfully, he can use us even when we mess up. It's called grace and forgiveness, and he gives it freely. All we have to do is ask. When we're angry or confused, God's still right there teaching us and guiding us. Maybe you haven't been submitting to your spouse. God can change that. Maybe you haven't been giving sacrificially. God can change that. Maybe you haven't been faithfully investing the time to truly lead your children. God can change that. Maybe you've been deliberately disobeying in one way or another. God can change that. And when he does, always follow God's lesson. It doesn't mean life is perfect. It just means he is with you and he wants to provide The goal in life is for Christ to be magnified in us, in us, so much so that others see him and want him to take control of their lives too. That is our purpose. Listen to the words of this next song. I'm going to go ahead and tell the band to go in a minute and go back up here. But this song is a beautiful song where the words are so true about how our hearts should feel about what Christ does for us. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice that you're there too. I won't be formed by fear. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified too. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I will join you when you rise. And when you're, you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. 
be magnified in me. We will struggle. We will fail. We will need grace. But if our cause is to allow Christ to be magnified in us, our effect will be the spiritual transformation of those around us. So I urge you, build your life on Jesus. Let it love, let his love cause changes in the lives of those around you, including those that mean the most to you. No one can outrun God. Just ask Jonah. This week, these last two weeks have been a little trying here at, at church to the staff. Um, I don't know, most of you probably know, but Crystal had to have a big surgery on Thursday. She's recovering, and it was one of those things that it, it couldn't wait. It had to be done. And then this week, Brad is having a big surgery. Um, and, and if you guys would just keep them in your prayers. There's some other stuff that's going on, some other, everything's wonderful. The staff is amazing. We all love each other deeply. There's just some health issues that are going on, and we just, we're just asking you to pray over them, um, because our goal in life is for Christ to be magnified through us, and if health is getting in the way, we don't need it. So I ask that you would pray um, for each of them, for Crystal, for Brad, that I just mentioned. You guys are a huge blessing here at church. I don't know if you know how important you are to us. We are so grateful for you. Things could have changed six, seven months ago, but they didn't because of you and because you have built your life on Christ and because you have made this church a huge part of your cause and the effect, the effect that is happening from that is we are strong, we are growing, and we are doing really well. So I just want to thank you Father, thank you for loving us so much, even when we don't deserve it, <laughs> for forgiving us when we fail you, for teaching us and guiding us and always being there to use us to glorify your name. May you receive our wholehearted praise this morning. What do we have left? You're so good to us. And may our prayer all together as one today be that you would be magnified in us and that we would let your praises arise.